If you would, stand please for the reading of scriptures. We show respect from Matthew chapter 6. We'll read verses 9 to 13 one more time. We, God willing, conclude the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And may God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. You may be seated, please. Our confidence in prayer. We come here to the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And we don't need to spend a lot of time on it, but this half of a verse, half of verse 13, has been disputed through the centuries. Some of the ancient copies of the Bible have it. Others stop the Lord's Prayer with, Deliver us from evil. I believe that in the Roman Catholic Church they end at deliver us from evil when they say the Our Father. That's what they uh, call it, the Our Father or Pater Noster following the Latin Vulgate. Uh, but it is in some of the manuscripts, uh, the Byzantine, if you're interested in that. We, we can't get into that. I have strong opinions on it, but can't get into it today. The conclusion of the Lord's Prayer is essentially in an ancient book called the Didache, which was like a worship manual from the 1st or early 2nd century A.D. So the earliest record of how the Christian worshipped indicates that they said it way back then, in the 1st century, at the end of the Lord's Prayer. Earlier in the service, we used question 107 of the Shorter Catechism. So the standards of the church treat it as Scripture. All that to say, I believe the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer is original. Some of your modern translations don't have it in there. I believe it is Scripture. That puts me in the minority, but so be it. It's very similar to two other prayers that no one questions belong in the Bible. In 1 Chronicles 29, 11, got that verse in your bulletin today, King David prayed, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty, for all that is in heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Kingdom, power, and glory, it's all in there. And of course, the Lord's Prayer ends, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Interestingly, in 2 Timothy 4.18, the Apostle Paul said, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work. Sounds like deliver us from evil. 
and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So there's power, kingdom, and glory right after delivering Paul from evil. The conclusion to the Lord's Prayer is consistent with the rest of the Bible. Calvin said, even though this is not in the Latin versions of the Bible, it is so appropriate to this place that it ought not to be omitted, namely, that His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This is firm and peaceful repose for our faith. For if our prayers were to be commended to God by our worth, who would dare even mutter in His presence? You hear that question? If our prayers were to be commended to God by our worth, who would dare even mutter in His presence? In other words, if we had to be worthy to get God to listen to us, who could ever talk to Him? Now, however miserable as we may be, though unworthiest of all, however devoid of all commendation, we will yet never lack a reason to pray, never be without assurance, since His kingdom, power, and glory can never be snatched away from our Father. So he says no matter how miserable, how unworthy we are to come before God, we can be assured. Not because we're worthy, but because the kingdom, power, and glory can never be snatched away from our Father. That's what it's about. Our confidence in prayer. It's not in ourselves. But we should always pray and always have confidence because His kingdom, power, and glory can never be snatched away from our Father. The conclusion to the Lord's Prayer teaches us to add three things to our requests when we pray. And I'm drawing this outline from Larger Catechism 196 just to, just to let you know where I get it from. But there's three things that are our confidence in prayer. First, we are to add arguments to our requests. We're to add arguments to our request. Verse 13, right in the middle of it, for thine is the kingdom. That first word, for, F-O-R. Three letters in English. Three letters plus a rough breathing mark in Greek. For. It means these are the reasons why we're asking for all this. And notice the reasons are all in God, not us. There's nothing about any one of us that would be a compelling reason to ask God for anything. That's why Calvin asked, for if our prayers were to be commended to God by our worth, who would dare even mutter in His presence? Our Father, please answer these prayers. 
not because of who we are, but because of who you are. The larger catechism says that this teaches us to enforce our petitions with arguments which are to be taken not from any worthiness in ourselves or in any other creature, but from God. We back up our requests with reasons that come from God, not us. And think about these three things. We say at the end of the Lord's Prayer, God's kingdom, His power, and His glory. The things we pray for, how do they connect to God's kingdom, power, and glory? The things we want, the things for which we ask God. How do they serve the kingdom of God? How would they glorify God if he granted the request? Now, we pretty well assume his power every time we pray, but what about his kingdom and glory? If we cannot figure out what the things we ask God to do for us have to do with his kingdom and glory, we need to reassess our praying. We certainly have no reason to expect the Lord to grant us any request that does not serve his kingdom and his glory. But if we can argue that the things we're requesting will advance his kingdom in the earth or glorify him, then we're on solid ground in what we're praying for. We need to add arguments to our requests. Secondly, we are to add praise to our requests. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And the larger catechism says, this means that we are with our prayers to join praises, ascribing to God alone eternal sovereignty, omnipotency, and glorious excellence. Again, there's nothing worthy or compelling about us. We cannot come before God and say, give me this, God, I deserve it. You remember the man in the Bible who tried that? The Pharisee in the temple who prayed, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, unjust, adulterers, extortioners, or even as that tax collector over there. I fast Twice in a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. Jesus said that man got nothing from God. God did not justify him. He did not approve of him. God was not impressed with that man's righteousness. You can search the pages of Scripture from beginning to end. And after Jesus you will not find a better man than Daniel. 
Daniel was faithful to the Lord all his life. Frequently in Scripture, even the, the good ones, they either make foolish mistakes in their youth and inexperience or they do not finish well in their old age. Bible follows Daniel from when he was a teenager and he was a faithful teenager and it follows him all the way to his later years and Daniel, who had been faithful from a child, was a faithful octogenarian. You know, he was up in his 80s when he went in the den of lions. And he was faithful all in between. And Daniel was a praying man. He knew how to pray. He was committed to prayer. You remember, that's how they tried to take Daniel down. The people were jealous of him. They, they tricked the king to outlaw prayer. Well, Daniel kept praying and went into the lion's den. The Lord sent his angel to stop the mouths of the lions because it says he found Daniel innocent. But good as he was comparatively among men, listen to how Daniel concluded his great prayer in Daniel 9. Just listen. Daniel prayed this. Now therefore, O our God, Hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and behold our desolations in the city which is called by thy name. Listen to this conclusion to Daniel's prayer. For we do not present our request before thee for our righteousness, but for thy great mercies. We don't praise ourselves. We don't commend ourselves. We praise God. We do not present our supplications to thee for our righteousness but for thy great mercies. He says, Lord, do this for your own sake and the sake of your name. There was a Pharisee who bragged, praised himself in prayer in the temple. There was another man there that day, you remember, the tax collector. And all he could pray was, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He went down to his house justified before God. We do not praise ourselves, but God. The Apostle Paul said that no flesh should glory in God's presence. We are to praise Him for His kingdom. That is His sovereign power and rule over all things. We are to praise Him for His power, His omnipotence. Hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth 
and His glory. We're to add arguments to our prayers, our requests. We're to add praise to our requests. And thirdly and finally, we are to add faith to our requests. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Again, the larger catechism says that as he is able and willing to help us, so we by faith are emboldened to plead with him that he would and quietly to rely upon him that he will fulfill our request. When we say, thine is the kingdom, power and the glory, in the plainest terms, what we're saying is, Lord, you can do whatever you want. You're in charge. He has all power. He has all knowledge. He is perfect. He's going to do what is best. Our faith must rest squarely and solely on God alone. We pray about things and we got faith tied up in the things themselves rather than God. We pray about a job and have faith and hope in a job instead of God. We pray about healing and have faith and hope in staying alive rather than faith in God. That right there is why the human race is shot through with anxiety. We put faith in things and other people, not God. And in teaching us to conclude with these simple words, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, Jesus is teaching us quietly to rely upon him that he will fulfill our request. In the last word of the prayer, amen. Dr. Kelly in, in seminary used to tell us that uh, in Genesis 15, 6, a very famous verse that's quoted several times in the New Testament says that Abram believed the Lord. And Dr. Kelly used to point out to us that the Hebrew word translated believed is amen. And Dr. Kelly used to say, Abraham amened God. God made a promise and Abraham amened God. He believed it. To end with amen is a confession of faith. 1 Corinthians 1.20, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 1.20, Paul says, For all the promises of God in Christ are yea and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. Jesus Christ is God's amen. All his promises are true and fulfilled in Christ. 
You know, the Lord promised. Long ago, that the days were coming when he would make a new covenant with his people. He said, they will be my people and I will be their God. The Lord's prayer begins, our Father, because... He kept his oath. We are his people. And he is our God. And he promised that in this new covenant, he would forgive our iniquity and remember our sins no more. And Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That was God's promise of a new covenant. And all His promises are amen in Christ. And so our Lord Jesus took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. When we come before God, Are you trusting in Jesus Christ? His blood shed for the remission of sins. I have no other argument. I have no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Is Jesus Christ your argument? Is He your praise? Is He the object of your faith and trust and hope? Examine yourself as we prepare to come to his table.